Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live is back with another podcast interview. We are with part two with Francie Desmond of Navigating Wellness of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Francie talked with us two weeks ago in part one about her experiences as a commercial cook and working as a deckhand and a cook on big ships, specifically sailing ships, 70 to 150 feet, and how she overcame her fear of needles to actually have an acupuncture treatment and then go on and get a master's of acupuncture. And I think it would be a good way to start part two of our interview with you to have you describe exactly what is navigating wellness. So you see somebody and you've got your nice business cards or they're surfing around the internet and they see your picture and acupuncturist, common navigating wellness. What do you do as a, for a living? I stick pins in people. <laughs> When somebody asks, that's what I tell them. Um, so I used incorrect terminology last uh, interview when I said that you stick needles in people. They're called pins. Well, I, you know, I'm a fiber artist. So pins and needles, it's kind of the joke. It's either a knitting needle, a sewing needle, or an acupuncture needle. Yeah. And in your practice, you do more than just stick pins in people. What other modalities do you use? Um. Really, it starts with listening and listening well to what the client is saying and what they aren't saying. I've treated animals and people ask, how can you, they don't talk to you. I said, people rarely tell you the whole truth. And so you have to take in all the the symptoms that seem unrelated or minor really are part of the package. So there's the, the diagnostic part of it. Um, and then I, because I was a chef, I, you are what you eat. That's the bottom line. That's your best health insurance is to eat well and to move, right? So what are you eating? When are you eating it? Um, so there's that. And then there's cupping. And and what is cupping for somebody who maybe just has seen Michael Phelps in the last Olympics with round things, round uh, bruises on his back? 
What exactly is cupping? It's a, um, traditionally it was done with a glass cup called fire cups where you had to have fire to create the vacuum to put the cup on. I find that very hard to regulate the tension and many places I've worked, you can't have an open flame. So I have cups that have a, a suction gun where you can regulate the, the intensity of it. You can do standing cups, which is what I usually do. You can do sliding cups, moving them back and forth. Um, and the cup puts a pressure on the, or a suction on the soft tissue. Is that correct? Yes. So it can either increase circulation as in a muscular thing, re re reduce the tension in it. And it's also really good for lung issues. So people with uh, asthma, chronic bronchitis, things like that, it helps uh, increase the circulation in the lungs. And I know the easy answer for this is, and not the answer I want, if I say, well, who gets acupuncture or who should get acupuncture? I know the pat response is everybody should get acupuncture. Everybody should get acupuncture. <laughs> but I know, and one of the reasons that I have enjoyed my uh, relationship with you is just like my role for Brian Jolie is you are somebody who doesn't say that they can fix everything. And I think that was exhibited when I interviewed you for FitLab Pittsburgh and I came hobbling in because a couple of weeks earlier I had herniated a disc and was having uh, some pretty severe, ridiculous symptoms. I was doing physical therapy. I was on uh, a short course of anti-inflammatories. And I remember saying, if I get up and move around, it's because I herniated to get a disc. And you said, oh, well, I might be able to help you with that. And I am an N of one, but I think it was the next week I got in to see you. And I probably hate needles worse than you do. And at that point in time, my back was spasming to the degree that sitting down and bending over and putting my palms on the floor wasn't going to happen. And my thought process was, I'll let somebody stick needles in me. What's the worst that can happen? It'll hurt from sticking needles in. It can't hurt any worse. And I was surprised that when I got off the table, I could bend down from a seated position and put my hands on the floor. Now, the bad news is it didn't last. It only lasted four or five days. Only four or five? That's amazing for the first time out. The good news is because it had relieved the spasming, it allowed me to do four or five days of really good rehabilitative exercise, or as you said, move, so that when the discomfort and the spasming came back, it was not as severe as it had been beforehand. So I be quickly became a big fan of that. And as somebody who does read the literature and has talked to a number of medical professionals, it's kind of a lot of it is... If it's not going to hurt you, there's some evidence that it might help some people, go ahead and try it. And I think as an N one for me, it's helped me with back pain. It's also helped me with sinus pain. So I've, I've helped you out with the answer. People with back pain, it might help relieve some of the pain or discomfort. It doesn't cure the back pain. It allows them to do the other things that they need to do to take care of their bodies. Sinus problems you've used it for. Who else is potentially acupuncture good for? Well, when I first started doing the research, it was a lot of internal medicine. So digestive disorders, GI disorders, uh, urinary issues, heart problems, lung stuff, asthma, bronchitis, all of those other things. I was injured when I first started school. Um, I'm not really good to have things on my feet, between my feet and the ground. I have a tendency to fall over and get hurt. This was one of those cases where I had rollerblades and it was super windy and I was, you know, chugging into the wind and then the gust stopped and I was off balance and on my left cheek. 
I couldn't walk, sit, sleep, stand for months on end. And one of the teachers had done a cadaver lab and was pointing out all the musculature in the hip girdle, which I was fascinated by given the amount of pain I was in. And I went to his office and had a series of treatments and had movement and no pain for quite a few months. So I was surprised that it went from this internal medical thing to physiological movement. And then the third component, which I was also very surprised about, was the um, resolving emotional issues. Um, I was in school for five years and things had come up um, that I'd experienced in my life to heal and release. So somebody who has a problem, I mean, what, why would somebody come to acupuncture? I came because I just, by the luck of the draw, happened to interview for you for a podcast. <laughs> and without hard selling, you said, I think I can help you. And I was open enough at that time. I don't know if five years ago, when I, when I was even more scared of needles, I would have done that. How do people find an acupuncturist or what is it? How do people become aware of it? Because I know some professions, I think acupuncture, I think Rolfing, maybe Feldenkrais, most people don't know it because it falls outside the realm of traditional Western medicine. Well, the coasts are a little more progressed than we are in the Midwest. Not that I think Pittsburgh's technically Midwest, but we have people. That's the thing I love about Pittsburgh. People travel from here and they come home a lot. So quite a few of my uh, clients have been away and moved home and we're looking for acupuncture. Um, People are really looking for alternatives to pharmaceuticals and surgery. I've treated people that were avoiding surgery. The medication didn't work. They had surgery. It didn't work. So I think people are becoming more open-minded about what's possible. And certainly in the height of this opioid epidemic, people are more afraid to get on that track, um, you know, for family history and whatever other outcomes. Um, when I had my private practice in Massachusetts, I had probably an 85% success rate, which looking back even surprised me. Um, I just did a five-year stint in a hospital where the the patients had more chronic issues that I found more challenging to resolve. And when you say success rate, do you mean they were quote-unquote cured or they left seeing you or left your care in a better situation with their problem they entered or does it depend on the client? It depends on the person. For some people, they're looking for complete resolution, which isn't always the case, right? Because there are so many mitigating factors. Now, I have some miraculous stories of people with back pain that literally jumped up and kicked their heels and walked out of my office after being on two canes. So there is that possibility uh, for most people, they just want to reduce their pain and keep in motion, whether it's their job that they do or their passion that, or just their health, you know, their ADLs, their activities of daily living. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to do my laundry. So depending on where you are in that realm, it's impre improved uh, range of motion, reduced pain. And what I found interesting, I was, even though I am an athletic trainer, when I herniated my disc, I knew I wanted somebody to basically look over me and tell me what to do. So I went to Allegheny Health Sports Medicine for physical therapy once a week just to give me ideas on exercises. And when I mentioned to the physical therapist, hey, you know, I'm doing acupuncture too, his response was, oh, that's kind of neat. I need to learn more about that. I'm interested in that. So I think there's inroads 
in people in, for lack of a better term, traditional Western medicine who are saying, oh, that has something to do with it. I have a friend of mine in Florida who's a PhD in physical therapy who teaches in a physical therapy school. And I mentioned to him that I was doing acupuncture as part of the treatment for my back. And his response was, I've got a number of patients who've really benefited from it. So I think there are inroads in acupuncture, but there's still many people who aren't aware of it or they're kind of think of it as quote unquote voodoo medicine, because how can sticking needles in someone help? Someone help? So just thinking with musculoskeletal problems, uh, so low back pain, for example, how does sticking a needle in a body help? Well, I was, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the origins of acupuncture in China. The textbooks are 2000 years old. The oral history has to be closer to five. And really it was um, battlefield medicine that it was partly why there are a billion people in China because is because of this medicine. Um, kind of, we don't really know in some cases, but it seems to work and it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> well, I, and I, I don't say that in a bad way. No, no, I know. I, I walked into the hospital when I first started working there and one of the doctors is like, the research is still out on acupuncture. And I'm like, yeah, but I have 10 years clinical experience that shows me that it works. So just because there hasn't been enough research on acupuncture. Now, the research... A lot of research that's out there is what they call sham acupuncture, which is what I call non-insertive needle technique. I can hold a needle to the point without inserting it and have a positive outcome. So a lot of the research says acupuncture and sham acupuncture are the same neither of them work. And my response is, hmm, isn't that curious that these two techniques have a similar outcome? Let's measure that instead of talking about sham discounts insertive needle technique. And I know that I've been unfortunate to have a number of eye problems and I've had some back problems. And I know people who are forward thinking in traditional Western medicine that I've talked to about my treatment protocols have said, you know, you need to remember there are these basic protocols that people follow, but each person is an N on one. So just because something works for you doesn't mean it's been proven in the research. And that's kind of been driven home with me. I'm unfortunate enough to have a dog with epilepsy and the neurologists at the vet have said, you know, here's the ways we treat it, but every dog is an N of one and we think this is going to work. It's idiopathic epilepsy. It might not work and we might have to tweak things. So I think one of the things with acupuncture is with the research, the research may not show positive results, but I think a good question for people to ask who are in pain and don't want to go down that road where they may become addicted to opioids or end up using non-steroidal anti-inflammatories long-term is who is acupuncture not for? So somebody has some sort of a problem, what would preclude them or be a contraindication for getting acupuncture? I haven't found one yet. I'm cautious going in with some people. I recently had a gentleman who had severe back pain. He got turned away from the back institute. Nobody could help him. He was diabetic, had lost a couple of toes. So for me, that's a, a no-go below the knees. And I was... And why is that? Why below the knees? Would, with If they're missing some toes, would you not stick needles in? Well, because... 
he had neuropathy and couldn't necessarily feel anything. Yes, he had burning pain from the nerve damage and wanted me to put needles in his feet, but you don't always go to where the pain problem is that that's the 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 amazing thing about acupuncture is that you there are a lot of ways of getting there so when somebody's in the treatment room there's often a negotiation about um point protocol um and how it actually lays out going in. So I negotiated with this gentleman and I treated his back. I treated the backs of his knees just below the knees because that's a good point for circulation. And he had relief of his back pain. And I think what's interesting, you say the negotiation. I know you and I negotiate every time I see you. There's a spot in my left hand that I think you would like to put the needle in. And every time you try to put it in, it's exceedingly uncomfortable or I jerk my hand away for some reason. So I think the negotiation is there. It's not a forced thing. What about, I'm just curious, um, somebody who's on blood thinners, is that something that's a contraindication or are there concerns that you have to deal with? And this gentleman was on blood thinners. Um, so there were a lot of complications in his case that made me go in slow. Um, and that's another thing. Um, you, it's not necessarily a good idea to go straight to the worst painful spot and put the biggest needle in. You could have a worse uh, effect. So sometimes you have to come at it sideways. You have to pick different points and scrape the layers off because if you're in pain, you're guarding. And then there's energy around the guarding. So if you, if you have a joint that's compromised, then you have all the musculature related to that. And that could be two joints away that are affecting what the problem is. So it's going in slow, being gentle about it. And because I am sensitive to needles, I'm very much aware of the impact when I put a needle in somebody. I think it's interesting you say that and going slow, then there's multiple ways of approaching the problem. Uh, one of the tools that I'm using to deal with my back pain is I'm seeing periodically uh, Dr. Pete Thomas, who is a chiropractor and athletic trainer, and I remember the first time I saw him and he found a restriction of range of motion in, in a joint. And he said, well, you know, I could do a manipulation or an adjustment and get you a significant improvement of range of motion. But I don't think your muscles are ready to handle that. What about we try some exercises over the course of the few weeks to get to that point, but it's going to take longer and your body's going to be able to adapt to it. So I think it's interesting that you have somebody in a different profession, although it is a wellness of movement saying there's more than one way to, to do this. And you as an acupuncturist in, an, in another field saying, you know, there's not a black and white way to do it. There's kind of shades of black to white where what works for one person or what works on one day for a person may not work for a subsequent day. And does that have to do partially with what else is going on in their life, what they eat, uh, that, how much sleep they've had, the stress they're under, maybe their boss yelled at them? <laughs> well, and that and that is, I think, what sets acupuncture apart from a lot of other modalities. It, it is individualized, and every day is a new day. Um, when you think you can coast, somebody's walking in that you've seen every week for a year, and they have something new, and then you have to adjust the treatment for that for that particular day. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like from what I've seen with acupuncturists, and I'm relatively limited in my knowledge base uh, by you and also searching the googly web, but it seems like most acupuncturists are either in private practice or they're in very small practices with other 
alternative Western medicine uh, things. There's very few acupuncturists who are in large traditional medical facilities. Do you think that's because big business medicine is all about having protocols and this is what you do for a specific incidence? And we all know that everybody's body responds differently, whether it's lifting a weight or getting a needle stuck in it or doing a rehab protocol. And because everybody is slightly different in the treatment with uh, acupuncture, it wouldn't work well in the big medicine model or it wouldn't work as well as if you can deal with somebody in a smaller private setting. Well, that's a big issue with acupuncture is um, being covered by insurance. Um, yes, it would be nice to open it up to have more people have the opportunity to have acupuncture and for their insurance to cover part of it. The flip side is, is that then the, the insurance companies want you to do certain protocols related to the main complaint. And for that person, it might not be the best protocol. They have done some research where I think it was for a GI issue that, um, in Western medicine, it was the same diagnosis. And in Chinese medicine, there were five different reasons why these five people had their GI problems. So that's the gift of what we do is it's individualized medicine, which the West is finally coming around to, like um, with immunotherapy, for example. You know, just because you have cancer doesn't mean that this treatment is going to fix that. Certainly with breast cancer, I've been working with breast cancer patients the last three to five years is that, um, you know, with all the genetic research, it's not the same thing. And you have to be more specialized. But that's what acupuncture is. It's individualized each and every time for you for what your complaint is. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is your recommendation for most people that they don't just do acupuncture, but it's an overall encompassing acupuncture is one of the tools that they use? Um, just on the team. I mean, I did live a place where uh, I had a lot of clients who didn't go to the doctor. So I was in a primary care um, operating in that arena, which is great on one hand because I could, refer, you know, I did refer out all the time. Go to the chiropractor, get a massage, try Alexander Technique. Oh, you should go to the back doctor. I found what he missed. This is where you need surgery. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you're just part of the team. I know one of the things you mentioned in our first interview is that some of the education or some uh, acupuncture education incur includes uh, the use of herbs. And I know that would depend from school to school what the specialty is. I know from conversations with you in the past, you made a decision at some point that you do, were not interested in being involved in the use of herbs in your practice. You wanted to stick, I think, to traditional hands-on, the gasha, the moxie, the needles, the cupping. Why is that? Why I would think somebody who is involved in treatment wants to say, I want all the tools possible so I can use it, so I can come off as being successful, or so I can treat my patients the best. What is the decision? What Not, happened? Yeah, what happened? Why, why, why no herbs for Francie? I went to California to study herbs, and I really struggled with them because each herb has two to five organs related to it that go on certain meridian patterns. For people who don't know, what's a meridian? That's the channel that the, um, that the organs 
travel on. There are certain there are twelve main uh, meridians and a couple extra ones because you're the way that they interact with each other and they run from top to bottom. Not always. And you're not referring to Western medicine when you're referring to re uh, meridians, are you? <laughs> How how they got their name are are because of the latitude and longitude of the globe. So they are meridians. That's how they saw the when the West first went in and saw the pictures of the statues. That's what they saw. That's why they call them meridians or channels. And you made the decision just because it sounds like there's acupuncture and then the herbs can be like double or triple the knowledge required or the experience required in order to use them safely. Is that an accurate uh, perception? So the safety is a big part of it. But rem remember, I'm a sailor, right? So here I am studying herbs and the way you get them in the clinic is there are dried herbs. And my first thought is these are going to get moldy on a sailboat. <laughs> so there's part one. Part two is then you can have um, pills, which are helpful, but then again, you still have to have all that knowledge of the herbs. And then three, I took a, an elective on homeopathy, which is homeopathy is the law of similars versus the law of opposites. A lot of our medicine is if you're hot, they give you something cold. If you're cold, they give you something hot. In homeopathy, it's similar. So if you're hot, they give you something that has the essence of heat. Okay, so that's the background. So I moved back to the East Coast and a client, a friend of mine who I'd worked for on his boat and we'd become friendly over the years and then I was treating he and his wife. He had a cold and I was like, oh, just take some echinacea. You think that that's nothing because you can go to the, the store and grab it, right? It sent him into AFib because he had a heart condition that I was like, oh my God. So it's not just pharmaceuticals, it's Eastern medicine and Western herbal medicine that all of these things play off of each other. And I'm enough of a perfectionist that I could in my mind see that's a 10 year plan. I know some questions people often have with acupuncture is, or they may not be aware, so we'll get some questions out of the way. You don't reuse needles. These are needles that are used individually one time that are sterile. Is that correct? Correct, and disposed of properly. And I know you and I have had some experiences, or I have had experiences with some needles that actually hurt going in, and at times you have changed the diameter or the gauge of the needle. You kind of talk a little bit, what's a typical acupuncture needle as far as the gauge? First off, I'm one of those super sensitive people. There may be 20% of the population that's sensitive to most of life. I attract sensitive people to me to treat because I have that empathy for the pain. I don't think anybody would have ever called me sensitive, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we all have it somewhere. Um, but so then there are a lot of gauges of needles, right? So... Um, I use some of the thinnest needles because I find them still to be very effective. One of my mentors said, if you, if you, if you want it done fast, use a bigger gauge needle. Um, and if you're sensitive, that's not necessarily going to help because you're going to be resistant against the needle plan. So having said that, I've had people in the past, um, that they think they want the thinner needle, but then I, when I go up a gauge, they're happier because that doesn't flex as much going in. And that was the case in me a couple of times. You said, I'm going to try a little bigger needle. And in my mind, my first thought was, oh, crap, this is going to hurt a lot more. 
and I'd say, what are you putting it in? What are you doing it? And you'd say, it's already in. So I think you explained it to me at the time, which made sense, but you wouldn't think of it. You said the advantage in some instances of a thicker or a larger gauge needle is it doesn't flex or move as much as you stick it in. So if the needle is very flexible, it moves around. And if there are nerves in the area, it can stimulate the nerves and cause pain. If it's a little thicker, even though it's making a larger hole, there's less deflection of the tissue and it doesn't hurt. Is that an accurate representation? Mm -hmm. Now, let's also just take a second and talk about the needles themselves. When people think about needles, they're thinking about that hypodermic needle that they're getting a shot from. Either Novocaine, which in my case, I've had a lot of dental work, hence my fear of needles. Um, but also um, vaccines and blood draws. You're, you're talking an open hold needle. So in acupuncture, really, the needles are not much thicker than your hair, and they're solid, which is why you hardly feel them going in. Um, I have tried with the thickest gauge needles that they make in acupuncture, and I still cannot get a splinter out. I have to go back to the sewing needle. So they are super thin. They're solid. And um, the nerve endings are on the surface. So once you get past that, you rarely feel it. Um, there are many, many, many different styles of acupuncture, and one of them is going after that big chi feeling. I describe it as you're fishing, you have bait on the hook. Sometimes you can feel the fish nibble on the bait, which is a little chi feeling. You can feel the fact that they've taken the bait, which is a stronger feeling, as opposed to fish on when it's like a jolting feeling, when the needles act like a lightning rod to the energy in your body. And sometimes it's a very jolting feeling, which is what I try to avoid because it scares people. It's kind of like resetting a muscle that's stuck in contraction. Sometimes you do have that, um, but that's not what I'm after. And I know I'll be the first to admit, I do not understand exactly how acupuncture works. I know for me, I've never walked out feeling worse uh, than when I walked in, but I think I experienced that at one point. There was a needle at one point in the treatments that you put in my back, and you put it in my back, and about 15 or 20 seconds later, the muscle spasmed and bent the needle. And is that what you would be described as a as the f catching the fish? Big chi feeling, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's... Out of put inserting maybe a thousand needles, maybe two will bend. And it's not to the point where you're in a trouble zone. It just happens. Sometimes they could, because there's so much tension on the muscle that it'll pop and then the needle will bend. And I think this was two or three treatments in when my spasming of my muscles was still pretty significant. Yeah. I know one of the things that as I've gotten older and things have started to wear out, or things have started to become injured because maybe my carelessness has caught up with me and I don't bounce as well as I did when I got younger, is I'm much more conscious of who I choose for my health care. I know I often tell my father when he'll mention something about a physician or uh, a medical professional is, I think many people spend more time looking for a good mechanic than they do looking for good health care professionals. And one of the things that I've seen is there are really good healthcare professionals who are also very, very humble and that they are not afraid to admit that maybe they're not the best person for this or they're not best suited. And I've had some eye problems and I still recall 
having a flare-up of a condition and the physician that I saw who I respect and has done a phenomenal job for me saying, we need to do this specific procedure right now. I can do it. I'm good at it. But my colleague is in the office today and he's even better than me, than I am. I know that uh, Brian Jolie, who we've injured constantly, is saying you need to see this person or that person. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about it, uh, probably in more detail than we'll talk in this podcast, about the difference between an acupuncturist and somebody in some states who are licensed to do something called dry needling. And I know dry needling, whether they're a physical therapist, a chiropractor, I know some osteopaths do it. Uh, in many instances, the people who do it that I've talked to, and I know if there are some people who don't do this, their goal is to find the most painful spot. And in some cases, it's kind of, as you said, with catching the fish and the chi, you can get really good results, but you can also have people respond badly to that or tighten up. I know the most difficult thing for me has been when you start putting needles into sore areas of my back is to force myself to relax and not tighten up. Uh, I'm sure there are very many people out there who are very good at doing dry needling, but I think what my attraction to an acupuncturist versus somebody who does dry needling for long-term care is the fact that you do treat it as an individual thing. And in your specific case, you don't try to cause pain. So I know if somebody causes pain, if I go to a dentist that makes it hurt when he drills my teeth or she drills my teeth, I'm not going back. My question is, is this all acupuncturists who try to avoid causing discomfort with the needles going in, or is this something that you decided because you were so sensitive to needles? I, I would have to say that's an individualized thing. Um, I've, I've gone for treatment where it's hurt. Um, When you stick that many needles in people for that many, I've been doing this 20 years. I mean, I still hold my breath because <laughs> I don't want to cause you pain. And sometimes you have to a little bit, right? But then that's having um, a goal and a long-term plan. I had a new client come in recently with hip pain. She wasn't sure if it was a tear or bursitis or this, but it's sciatica moving down. And I said, honestly, this is going to take a couple months. I could jam right into it, but then you're going to have a rebound effect and you might not come back. I would rather um, anticipate and talk about um, the expectations of the client and my goals. And sometimes the timeline is different. I know that in traditional uh, Western medicine, especially what I know uh, Dr. Justin Berthold terms big medicine, where you are in uh, medical practices or hospital settings where there are large numbers of people employed, there are protocols and a standard way of doing things. And for lack of a better term, it's let's get as many people in as possible. Uh, I was fortunate enough yesterday, I don't know if this will appear before or after your interview, but to interview Brian Jolie, who is a rolfer. And one of Brian's comments was, is he's in a team with his clients in that he can do stuff for them, but they have to also do stuff for themselves. Do you find that with your clients, or sorry, with your patients, that you have better results if they are engaged in their treatment rather than walking in, flopping down on the table and saying, okay, here I am, stick some needles in me. <laughs> I should never work harder than you for your own health. I think that's exactly what Brian, or just about what Brian said also. Yeah, because it's, I'm, 
I'm here to serve you, not do it to you or for you, because at some point I'm not going to be here to help you. The best I can do is to educate you about your body and how, how you can manage it. Talking about choosing a mechanic, right? You only get one car to tool around in in your lifetime. Why wouldn't you take care of it? Right. You're going to put oil in it. Most people, you're going to put good quality gas in it and you want to maintain it because it keeps you going. Right. We have a very disposable perception of what our bodies can do and what medicine can do for us. Yes, you can have a hip or a knee replacement, but it's not necessarily going to solve your problem. My mom, um, I think it was after her. My mom's had a lot of joint problems, so she's had both hips replaced and both knees. And after she had to have the the right one done twice within a year, yeah, I mean, it was terrible. And then she had residual pain from the right knee because her right side was worse, right? Because I knew that because she had to have the hip done twice. She was in so much pain, she couldn't function. My dad drove her from Pittsburgh to Massachusetts for me, for me to treat her. So I set up appointments for massage, then she saw me, then I took her to the chiropractor to make sure there wasn't some other structural issue that I couldn't address. So after two treatments of acupuncture and massage, her improvement was 80%, 90% improvement. So And how long did that last for? Forever. Some things actually do resolve and go away. Now, if you're going back to repetitive motion, of course, your body's normal use, it's acclimatized to the acclim- acclimated? Accl- acclimated or acclimatized? Acclimatized to that habituation of that pattern that you're doing. So you have to disrupt how you do things. So it could be that, or in your mother's case, from these multiple surgeries, it was almost like, for lack of a technical term, a reset. Well, and I do like to use that term. You know, I hit the reset button for people. There's a point in the year called point zero. Boom. It's a reset button. So what a lot of people don't realize is that the residual pain they have after a surgery is from the surgery because the operating rooms are really cold. Your body is torqued in unusual positions and the muscles get stuck. Then you have limited range of motion. You have pain and it goes forward and it affects your range of motion. And so then I'm like either people have had surgery and they're still in pain, then I treat them or they're trying to avoid a surgery. So then I treat them. One of the things I think is interesting as I get older and we see changes in healthcare in the United States. And I know having worked in a physical therapy clinic uh, while I was young in my career is a lot of people, if insurance is paying for it, have the mentality that well, I'm here, that's all I need to do, or insurance is paying for it and I can't go anywhere else. You, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, are working kind of outside of that insurance. And I know that there are some physicians who are going into small practices or they're making conscious choices to do concierge medicine or to do cash-based only medicine. And I know you've worked in the large medicine setting and you're currently in the private practice. Do you find or has your experience been that people who are paying out of pocket or paying themselves coming and seeking you out in private practice versus when insurance was covering it to some extent are taking better control of their care and are achieve better results? Well, a lot of people with high deductibles know that they have to maintain themselves. 
um, more so. And if you're plunking some cash down, you're more motivated to see a result from it. Um, I've taken a lot of coaching programs in the last few years, and there's something about having skin in the game because you're motivated to actually do something instead of a passive notion of, oh, if I just show up, it'll get better. Well, nothing works like that. You actually have to work it at home in, in your life. I know you mentioned also with the people with high deductibles, um, my insurance does not cover acupuncture, but I know I was able to use flexible medical spending. So depending on the insurance uh, that you have, you may be able to use flexible medical spending. You alluded to the fact that, or she didn't allude to the fact, you stated that we have one body to deal with. There was no illusion there. And I know the costs for acupuncture differ from area to area, but the costs in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area are quite realistic for what you get. And if you consider the cost of that versus the cost of a surgery, even with the co-payment, doing the acupuncture, doing the body work, et cetera, can potentially help as you get older. Oh, absolutely. The oldest client I've had was 90 uh, when I moved and he went on to 95. He had a lot of things come up as they do as we age. Um, and it was awesome to see that it wasn't the conditions weren't as severe and his rebound was a lot faster because he had made a commitment to his health that I treated him, he and his wife twice a month, no matter what. He had a small stroke and decided to take a break, but then came back because he realized how much it had helped him in so many other ways. Um, I had a client who hurt her knee. She was a landscaper and a farmer. And the chiropractor said, you need surgery. And she's like, but then I have to get insurance before I can even go to an orthopedic, before I can get the MRI to decide. So she was already looking at 10 or 15 grand before walking into the doctor's office. And she said, what do you think? I said, mm, I was new. I'm like, I'm game. Let's give it a go. So six months later and $2,500, she had no knee pain, was back in motion, no surgery. We're talking with Francie Desmond. She is the owner of Navigating Wellness. She is an acupuncturist. I think the take-home message from this conversation is there are multiple ways to skin a cat. And if your goal is to have a high quality of life and to maintain movement as much as possible, you may have to go outside of standardized or what you think of as typical Western medicine. What I like about Francie is the fact that she makes no claims that she is a miracle worker. She, she says she is one of the team and if you are in the area of Pittsburgh or you're somebody who are considering acupuncture as an N of one who probably a year ago would have kind of rolled my eyes, I'm a convert that it's part of my tool bag to help keep me moving. And maybe that's because I'm getting older and parts are starting to wear out. So Francie, I want to thank you for giving up a Monday afternoon to talk to Moving of Live about how you became an acupuncturist and more specifically what an acupuncturist does and what sorts of things people may benefit from it for. Well, Ben, thanks for having me again. It's um, I love talking about what I do and inspiring people to be more active in their health. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. 
You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.